Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. In recent weeks, I've reformatted the show to document the impact of COVID-19 in this area, but this episode is a departure from that to honor the life and legacy of Rachel Edwards. Rachel was a talented, influential Amarillo artist, painter, and photographer who is known for her annual outdoor back alley gallery exhibition, the enormous mural inside Six Car Pub and Brewery downtown, and a prolific body of work. Rachel passed away in her sleep on Wednesday, April 15th, at the age of 42. She was a friend, and last summer she appeared as a guest on this show. The episode released June 24th, 2019. That's one of the reasons I love interview podcasts is because they record history. They record people's voices, and it it gave me a chance to spend more than an hour talking to Rachel about why she lived in Amarillo, about why she became an artist, about what she loved about this community, and what really drove her work. This episode is a re-release of part of that interview. So if you didn't listen last time, I hope this helps serve as an introduction to who she was. But before we get to that interview, since this is a moment in which public memorial services aren't possible, I asked a few people who knew Rachel well to share about her for the podcast. I'm Karen Welch, and I'm a producer for Panhandle PBS. And Karen, tell me how you knew Rachel Edwards. I I met her when she was a teenager working for uh, a newspaper section at the Amarillo Globe News. We had uh, a newspaper section at the time that was written by uh, and for and about teens, and she was uh, an artist on that staff. How many years ago was that? I mean, I don't want to have you date yourself, but you know that that's quite a few years ago. Yeah, I think we'd been friends for twenty five or more years. What was what was Rachel like as a teenager when you met her back then? Well, she was really interesting because she was so engaged uh, in whatever whatever she did. Um, I, I think uh, one reason that um, we got to know each other better is because I did a feature story about her because of her art. Uh, we had some localized neighborhood sections, and and so I thought she'd make a good feature story. Um, and she was, uh, just so passionate and, and if she was talking to you, it was only to you. It was, we could all take lessons about learning how to listen from Rachel because she connected with you and stayed with you in a conversation. And she was that way since she was a teenager. You met her as a teenager and, and then were able I guess unique to a lot of people to follow her career as it progressed from that early. I mean, uh, most of us didn't get to know her until she was established or until she was an adult, but but you knew her um, for all of that period. Right. Uh, we were not uh, close over that whole time period. We kind of reconnected in the last, uh, you know, several years. In that time, yes, to see what she, what she had started out doing and uh, what she wound up doing in the last few years, uh, you know, it was, it was a progression I kind of expected from her, but it was still uh, amazing to watch. I was going to say, you know, did, in addition to those glimpses of her personality early as a teenager, I mean, did you see, you know, maybe maybe the arc of her career, did you see that this is someone who has some talent, this is someone who's got the, the drive to really do something special? I definitely did. She, uh, when I went to interview her as a teenager at, at her home, uh, she was pulling out art that she had done to show me. And um, she pulled out a painting uh, called Let's Dance. And it was inspired by the David Bowie song. He was one of her inspirations um, just for the way he could kind of remake himself all the time. And um, that piece of art actually is in my house. <laughs> hmm. I, but it was something that she painted at, at uh, 16 or, or 15 or around in there. She co- figured that piece out, and she really wanted to do a whole art collaboration with David Bowie, and that was one of the other things. She was, she was bold when she decided she wanted to do something. She, she contacted David Bowie, and at the time it wasn't something that they could do. 
but uh, she actually got an answer back, um, and she was noticed. And I, you know, it, it was impressive to hear this teenager telling me these things. Tell me about reconnecting with her, um, you know, further into her career once she began, you know, showing in some galleries and started the the back alley gallery. Tell me about that. Well, seeing what she had done on the back alley gallery was uh, was one of my reasons for contacting her again. Um, and I, I just was so proud, I guess, to see what she was doing and how innovative she was being. And I sent her a picture of uh, through social media, I sent her a picture of the study that she had. Um, she had given it to me, uh, and I I asked if she still had the big painting, um, and and so we just started talking about that. And she was one of those friends that the minute you you know we met for coffee, it's like we hadn't been apart that long. We you, you we talked for a long time, and and really in depth. And she, I think, had that about her with everybody that she that that loved her. She um, she could just really connect at a at a deep level. Tell me about you know as as someone who pays a lot of attention to um, arts and culture in Amarillo and to the the things that are happening within the city. Tell me about the role she played as a leader within that community and an innovator as, as someone who was, was doing interesting things. Uh, the back alley gallery is, is the prime example of that. She, um, she wanted to make art, but, but wanted to acknowledge that, um, you, you didn't just uh, go to a gallery opening and have some wine and cheese and look at a painting. She wanted it to be kind of a place that you were immersed in. Um, the gallery, the, the gallery in the alley, gave her that opportunity because, as she described it, you know, for the first uh, while while the sun was still out, um, the experience was was the thing. There was music. There was. Uh, you know, beer from the craft beer people. There, there was uh, people were walking around and looking at the paintings, but it was more about the experience of being there. And then, as the sun went down and the lights she put on over the paintings came up, then the art was what was important, and all you could see was the art. Um, and so, it was something that that concept it went from being an experience of being in a gallery to, to all I can see is art. And, and it was an amazing idea. And she never was short of ideas for the, the, the artworks that she featured in that gallery. Um, everything from talking about how, uh, you know, the first one talking about how social media and other things had changed our culture um, to uh, to then doing details of the Sistine Chapel ceiling, uh, and all of that in spray paint, uh, it on cardboard boxes. So um, she she could take a cardboard box, turn it into a canvas. She could she could take Sistine Chapel Michelangelo, and and do stencils and create still some amazing recreations of that art beyond the the work itself um you know tell me one of the things that that maybe has struck you or impacted you just about who she was as a person about her personality that that might be something that you know people who only know her artwork may never have experienced well one thing that you could notice about her um you know if you were in her in her space is her ice blue eyes they were searching and they were they could just see right into you i think um so just from that perspective just even the way she looked uh caught caught your attention um she also had an appreciation for graffiti not in the way of you know, vandalizing someone's property, but in the way of appreciating the artistic nature of it. Uh, and she would comment 
not just on the artistic nature, but also on the messages that she thought the uh, artists, the graffiti artists, were trying to uh, to extend, um, talking about how some messages seemed desperate uh, and some messages seemed hopeless and some messages seemed daring you to pay attention, uh, different things like that. She she was very into trying to understand that art and trying to give her art a little bit of that feeling and, and appreciation for, for that, uh, for people being artists in their own ways. Karen Welch, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Rachel was a special person. My name's Colin Cummings, and I'm a former, I'm a founder and a former owner of Six Car Pub and Brewery, also a co-owner of Yellow City Street Food, and uh, I work in the construction industry now. Colin, thanks for being on the show. Tell me how you uh, first met Rachel. Yeah, I first became aware of Rachel. She had a show at, at Yellow City Street Food, um, gosh, a few years ago, and um at, I'd probably heard her name before then, but that was the first time I'd really been exposed to her artwork and, and kind of figured out who she was. And then when when you were, you know, involved with launching Six Car, which was from the ground up, I mean, from designing the space to the menu and everything else, at, at what point did the idea of her mural sort of um, come into play? Well, we we had a lot of wall space to work with, and we, we had a bunch of pretty grand ideas as we were designing out the space and knew that we wanted some, um, like centerpiece mural done. And, uh, Rachel was one of, you know, I, d- I don't know a lot of mural artists and I didn't really know how to try to find one. And, uh, but I knew about Rachel and I think I may have heard that she had done some mural work. And so I got in touch with her and, um, we just, started that conversation and um, based on what I knew about her just based on her artwork and her skill, you know, I knew it was going to work and she was pretty excited and honestly um, fairly early on in the process gave us a quote and I thought it was incredibly reasonable for the level of work that wound up ultimately going into it. What can you tell me about the process as she started to design the mural and then actually execute it? I mean, what do you remember about that? There were a lot of conversations, conceptual conversations about what do we want it to be? What do we want it to say? What, you know, and then down into the details of what should be included. She did a lot of sketch work. Um, I remember she did these um, sketches of the whole mural and you've never seen the mural. It covers over a thousand square feet that kind of winds its way up, uh, 26 foot tall wall um, with some stairs in the way. And so it, it covers a really sort of odd layout. And so she, she was doing drawings on multiple sheets of paper and taking, taping them together to approximate how it would be laid out and account for where the stairs are going to be. And bearing in mind that all this was before a lot of this stuff had even been constructed before the stairs were in place. We knew where the wall was, but we, we didn't know entirely what all the obstacles would be. Um, so, I got to work with her quite a bit on that. She would come by um, when we were working at the building and we would look at the drawings and talk about it and um, things, things that I didn't like or things that um, she would kind of take. I, I gave her a lot of leeway and um, a lot of vague ideas about what I w- hoped would be included. And so she really ran with it and, and took, took the concepts and turned them into concrete um, representations through, through her style. What was unique to me about that process is that, you know, when the the restaurant itself opened, she was still, you know, in process with the mural and and worked on it, you know, for weeks after you started seeing actual business. And so in that capacity, you know, she was was painting right next to the front door and I kind of felt like she was the greeting committee. I, I would walk in the door and you know, look for Rachel to see where she was on, you know, the, the project, um, and always say hi to her before yeah. I spoke to anybody else, you know. Um, and so tell me a little bit just about her personality and the interaction she had with customers as she was doing this huge project. Yeah, Rachel was, first of all, she was incredibly sweet and kind, just a very friendly person. Given her, she was incredibly humble. I mean, you, you would not 
guess what she was capable of just through simple conversation with her. And when I look at the, cause, cause you're right. I would come and see the progress every day and it was just continually amazing the way that she can represent concepts in art, but also very realistically, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was humbling. You know, I also at that time was very stressed. And so I probably didn't appreciate just, um, what a unique thing it was to have an artist working on a mural actively while we were also trying to run a restaurant. You know, we would have to on the weekends try to scramble to get um, scaffolding up so she could work at height and, and finish it. And when still elements of it were still kind of in concept or in flux anyway, um, until she was finally done. So it was, it was frustrating and thrilling at the same time from my perspective, just in the stress of trying to operate a restaurant. Um, and it was just a lot of fun to, to be able to see it, to see it go in. We've been talking about her work, but you know, you you worked almost on a daily basis next to her for so many weeks. Tell me, tell me about just who she was as a person. What what are the things that you remember? I remember her smile. Um, I, I just remember her her kind of gentle nature. I remember that she, you know, she was always she was always kind of hesitant to ask for something. So in one instance, when she was having um, her back out back alley gallery, yeah, I think in 2018, um, she'd mentioned something about wanting to have some beer there. And I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. You know, we'll throw, throw it together. And if you can get somebody to come pick it up, then we'll have it ready for you for the evening. And, and I just, I would have done anything like that for Rachel. I just don't know that she, would have ever expected it. You know what I mean? She was very, she was very humble and her, her humility really belied her, her talent and the kind of recognition that she probably should have had, but she was, she was just, you know, blazing new trails and breaking ground as an artist here. And it's, I saw it and I just don't know how many other people saw it. I know people I know did. But I was always struck by how humble she was. Colin, what I know about you is that you think a lot about the things that make Amarillo good, the things that make Amarillo strong, and and what we should be aiming for as a community. And I wonder if if you can, you know, kind of speak to that and the role that that Rachel played, whether it was cultural, whether it was uh, as a member of this community. Do you do you see? some sort of lasting impact from, from her gifts and from the things that she did? Well, f- for certain, Rachel's going to have a lasting impact on anyone who had a relationship with her. Um, she will have a unique impact in that she was an artist and leaves behind a lot of work. Um, you know, Six Cars is just one large example, but I've heard from a lot of people who had bought individual artwork from her, had things commissioned, and that's that does my heart good to know that her, her work lives on, you know, her, her creative output is available for a lot of people to enjoy and be reminded of, to, to be reminded of her. I just think her, her kindness has an impact, you know, for, for us collectively, those of us who knew her to be remembering her and recalling her and to connect her to this place and connect her creativity to this place and what her life, her life here in Amarillo and what that means. And, I just think it's a reminder that there's a lot of really unique, talented, incredible people who live here and it's worth, it's worth meeting them. It's worth building relationships with them. It's worth celebrating them. And it's worth remembering that we've got a pretty, pretty neat community here. Colin Cummings, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Jason. And I just, I'm glad to think about Rachel some more. Uh, Hi, my name is Nanette Pilcher. And I am a full-time art teacher at Ascension Academy. I teach grades 6 through 12, and I've been doing that for 12 years now. Nanette, thanks for being on the show. How long had you and Rachel known each other? I met Rachel, I think it was in 2014, when she uh, approached me in my gallery uh, asking if I would be interested in uh, showing her work in my gallery. 
and I said, absolutely, let me, you know, let's take a look at what, what you do, and I would love to help another artist get their work out there and be seen, and from that day forward, uh, I knew that she was somebody that I wanted to spend more time with. And at that point, you know, 2014, Rachel was not necessarily a new artist, but did she not have like a, a place where she had been able to show her work before then? Around that time, I think she did She did have a show at Process Art House and was looking for, you know, different venues in order to, to show her work. I, I think like a lot of artists, she had gone through some some different changes in her artistic style and her development and things like that. So maybe she was, had reinvented herself from before. So you, you mentioned her style, and I, I know that you yourself are an artist. Um, what can you tell me just about her style? Because some people may have seen like some of her more classical paintings, and it looks one way, and then she's got you know stuff that's much more of a pop art feel. She's got stuff you know, that had a, a street art look. I mean, what can you tell me just about her talent and her skills and the diversity of what she was able to produce? Well, like many artists, we, we have a tendency to get bored sometimes with the same old, same old. And and uh, her her classical art, just in the time that I knew her, her technical skill had improved uh, tremendously. Um, she... But she worked hard at it, you know. She um, she was passionate about her work, but she she put the time in and worked hard to develop it to get it to the level that that she was proud of. And the spray paint on cardboard pop art was, I think, the rebellious side of her coming out and. Um, just wanting to explore different avenues without giving up anything, if that makes any sense. Okay. What can you tell me, you know, for, for people that don't know her work, maybe didn't go to any of the back alley gallery shows, or even people that may not have seen what she does at Six Car, um, you know, with, with the mural that she produced there, what, like, how would you describe her style, or how would you describe her talents? Rachel possessed a, a depth that is unmatched by anyone I've yet met, and that's one of the things uh, I loved about her, and um, I love her her passion and her desire to find new ways to get her messages out, and I think that's a lot of what the, the Back Alley Gallery was all about, she wanted art to be available to everyone. Uh, she enjoyed the refined painting and showing in galleries, but she felt that that was a little exclusive in that not everyone was able to to go and enjoy. So creating the back alley gallery and, and doing works of art in uh, an, an edgier way, uh, a more, I don't know, guttural way, and having it outdoors where anyone and everyone could attend because she was all about art being for everyone mm-hmm. and everyone being able to get the message and and process the work in their own way through their own eyes. And um, I don't know that that's actually an explanation of her style, but maybe her motivation. Okay. You know, one of the temptations when you're talking about an artist is to reduce her to, you know, the, the things that she produced. And I know that, you know, like you said, there was a whole lot of depth to Rachel beyond her art and and since you knew her as a friend since the two of you were close friends tell me about her as a person Mm. well like i said she was very passionate 
Um, she she was kind and caring, and yeah, she was passionate and uh, and definitely talented. But she she never turned it off, and she never shut it down. Every, everywhere she went, and everything that she did was part of the process of building a visual library. And and everything that she saw had the potential to become a vehicle for her message. Uh, she studied everything around her and internalized how it all would fit together in in sort of this complex visual communication. So so there was no separation for her between personal life and professional work or you know digesting a news story about refugees fleeing for their lives or rescuing a kitten about to freeze to death in the cold. And it, it was all one with her. It, it was her. Uh, her love for all creatures and her desire to make a living by doing what she loved. And then her hopes that that love would help the situation in some way, however big or small. She was truly a special individual and... I personally will miss her tremendously. Uh, I'll miss our conversations, and and I'll miss the great potential for the future of of what she would create and make happen. You know, um, yeah. sometimes it was a little overwhelming trying to keep up with <laughs> with her concepts and and her direction, but it was also fun and invigorating at the same time. And there was definitely an energy, and it would often pass back and forth between us during many hours engaged in conversation. I I get the sense I'm I'm not my involvement in Emerald's art scene is is only sort of on the sidelines of it. Um, but I I get the sense that she was viewed as as kind of a leader, as a, a trailblazer among local artists, especially those who were maybe a little bit edgier, you know, than the gallery types. Um, do you feel that that's accurate? Mm-hmm. I do. And and I think a lot of that is because she never stopped. You know, um, she was always thinking about it. She was always trying to figure out those ways that she could catch attention and, and bring that attention to, to an issue that she felt strongly about. And it was usually surrounding, you know, a, a humanitarian effort or issue or she, she didn't rest. She was just a beautiful person. And it, it's going to be hard for me going forward not having her beauty in the world. And I'm, I mean that so sincerely. She was a really good friend, and we just connected on so many levels. We share the same birthday, too. And hmm. She would always say how the January 22s are the best. <laughs> and uh, I, I just... I'm just going to miss her a great deal. Nanette Pilcher, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason, for allowing me to participate. Now, here's my original interview with Rachel Edwards for this podcast. It was recorded on June 10th, 2019 and published on June 24th, 2019. Rachel Edwards, welcome to the Hey Marilla podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I so it. I, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I know that we've got a number of things that I want to talk about, but mm-hmm. before we get to that point, I'd like to just hear a little bit about your story, how you ended up here in Amarillo in the first place. Actually, I've always been here. So both of my parents were jazz musicians and okay, uh, both of them here for years and I was just here from birth. That's that's not a typical, uh, this is why my parents came to Amarillo sort yeah. of thing. There's a lot of people who grow up in the agriculture community mm-hmm. or parents work for the railroad or something like that. Jazz musicians is a little bit different. <laughs> so t- tell me about your parents. 
Bart and Jolene Edwards, actually, um, they formed a big band here, and it was long-running. It was called Tiffany Brass, um, and they played all of the area. They were booked two or three years in advance for New Year's gigs, played different spots like Marty's. Marty's used to be a, yeah, a, a jazz that. place. Uh, they played for uh, T. Boone Pickens parties, you know, New Year's parties. Mesa Petroleum yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they were they were a happening kind of thing. What, what kind of, what, what was the time period that they were most active? This was probably 70s and 80s were the most active. Okay. And then they, um, my mom started doing solo work, um, you know, and she, she was a singer and they separated and kind of went their own ways and um, my dad fell ill and my, but my mom kept singing and all around the area. Where did so. they come from before Amarillo? Do you, do you know, like, why they decided to come here? Did well, they say, well, here's here's a jazz outpost. We'll come out here and, and do our thing? No, not exactly. <laughs> um, no, my mom, actually, all of her family were from Iowa. And her dad um, got a job like a lot of people at, at Pentex. Okay. And so she came out very young and just kind of grew up and met the few little, you know, musicians that were around. And my dad was from Headley. Okay. <laughs> so I guess Amarillo was the next biggest, uh, yeah, closest thing. Down the road a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, he did spend some time in New York and, and um, just ended up going back. You know, I guess family and that kind of thing brought him back. But um, somewhere along the way they met each other because, they, you know, there wasn't a huge jazz group, you know, right, yeah, social then. social group, you know. So a lot of the musicians ended up knowing each other working with each other. And and they were able to, I guess, make a living doing that for several years. Somewhat. Yeah, not not entirely. Okay, that, so was it kind of on the side while they did other things, or was that like their full-time gig? It was, well, it was meant to be a full-time thing. My dad was also an arranger, um, oh, okay. fabulous arranger. And so he had an entire, they had a 17-piece band, and he had a full library of arrangements that he did that he sold. Um, I think Duke University still has his collection. Sold them all over the place. So, and this is way before the internet, and right. you know, so it was a little bit, a little bit harder to to get just a full library from all kinds of people. So, um, being able to do that actually was was saying something, you know. Um, and there wasn't a lot of that around, so it was a little bit easier, but still, you know, the musician fees were. They haven't gone up, I don't right. think. Right, yeah. <laughs> and they were pretty low then, you know. Do Tell me what it was like growing up in a family that, you know, had, that, where creativity and, and that sort of, um, that sort of life and output was like part of the bread and butter, where, oh, you know, yeah. you you were artists, they were artists. Mm-hmm. What, what was that like as a kid? It was certainly a very different childhood. Things... Um, it's not a nine to five sort it's, of gig it's not. for parents. <laughs> no. In fact, I mean, it, there were there were just things that were so different from other kids, but they were very normal for for us. Um, you know, having parents that actually played the gig for New Year's was kind of we got kind of a second Christmas, as it were, because um, New Year's Day we would come out and there would be they would get all the balloons and the party favors and hats and everything that they could get you know, from the, from the job. And so we'd have all of that waiting for us. Um, and it, we just knew it was going to be there because that's what mom and dad did. So it, it was, it was quite different. And that was kind of a, that was a focus for, for the family. It was, I wouldn't really say not normal because the, I didn't really know what normal for right. everybody else was. Right. So, and, and one of the really good things that I, I appreciated about my mom and dad were they didn't push anything on you, but they certainly let you be who you were going to be. And most of us were artistic and creative, and a lot of that came from just the freedom of being able to do what I was going to do. So, you know, you weren't weird or, uh, you know, oh, man, I, I hope that's a phase they grow out yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> right. Were, were they, like, trying to cultivate an interest in music or anything with you, or was that just sort of like a, a natural thing within the family? That- I think maybe really early on. Okay. <laughs> my dad might have don't you want to play bass you know don't you know um a lot of us could sing and harmonize but uh and and actually my older sister and two brothers I have a lot of siblings but 
Um, the three of them were actually on stage. They sang with the band because okay. they could all harmonize and sing. And so they, that was actually really a part of the family. I, I was one of the very few that went with the visual arts. Okay. But when they saw that that was really more what I was leaning towards, I, I got an easel for my birthday. I got, you know, things that a normal 10 year old wouldn't <laughs> probably get, but, um, watercolor sets and, um, you know, if they found uh, a humongous box, they'd grab it and bring it home and I'd color all over it or okay. whatever. So when, when did you start to think, you know, there, there are a lot of kids who get interested in art and they sure. like to paint, oh, yeah. finger paint and color. And when, when did you start to think like, this is something I'm not going to grow out of. This is something that maybe mm. I'm going to pursue longer. Do you, do you remember that? I think that there probably wasn't a definite point where I said, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to be an artist. It kind of just always felt like that's what I was. And it was more of a progression, I would say, rather than a, a point at which you discovered it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, most of my, my presents that I got for birthdays, are, they were just an evolving amount of, of art sets and they just got better and better, and, and I kept going with it. And usually, I mean, that was that was kind of a point of the way I expressed myself. Or if something bad happened, I, I would go right into working with paints or drawing or whatever, had like a therapeutic yeah, it was, sort of feel yeah, for you. That was that was just the way that I went mm-hmm. with everything. Now, when I got into high school, though, I I think probably I started because I had a really good. Um, art teacher in high school that was coach tom's where did you go to high school at paladero okay so tom james was was the teacher there and he was another one of these that just kind of allowed you to do what whatever you were going to do and then helped you when he figured out what it was um and so i i started that's when i really probably got into the figurative art okay um because he had bodybuilder magazines and you know things that he'd let you take home and, and I'd draw all of them and then come back and get another one, you know, but I started getting into some of the, the contests and, um, that, that were offered, you know, just the high school things and it just kept going. Did you go to college after high school? I actually did go to college, but I, I bounced around <laughs> so much. I, I couldn't tell you what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, radio and TV production and, fine arts. And I mean, I just, I had all kinds of majors, you know, all the time, but it wasn't until I was, I was in my early thirties that I actually got a degree. Okay. So did you, did you like start at Amarillo college? I did. Or, okay. I did all of it was at Amarillo college. All right. And then you finished up your degree later in your thirties, but what, what mm-hmm. was that degree? It was absolutely not art. <laughs> <laughs> Is that as far as you want to go <laughs> no, with it? No, oh, no, no, it's fine. I, um, I actually, uh, my degree is in medical laboratory technology, okay. so, but I, I ended up going right back into the art, so I do have a degree, it's just... <laughs> have you, have you ever, like, used it? I mean, have you worked in that field at all? I, I mean, I started trying, I got the degree, I had, you know, and, and st- <laughs> started trying to kind of go that way, but there was just, it just wasn't going to happen that I, I'm just an artist, that's all there is to it. Okay. So... I, you know, I've talked to a number of people who are sort of involved in the art community, but nobody mm-hmm. who's like full-time a working artist. Yeah. So tell me what that's like just in terms of how you kind of figure out your path. How do you think, all right, this is what I'm going to do with my day. This is how I'm going to try to earn some income. I mm-hmm. mean, how does that, how does it go from something you're good at, something you're passionate about to mm-hmm. trying to make it into like a career? Well, for me, that's another one of those, there's not just a definite, okay, it's going this way and now I'm going to take it this way. Like I, I didn't work on it and work on it and work on it. Now I'm, I'm good enough. Now I'm going to go and do this. It kind of, it was always, that was just what I did. Yeah. That was what I was interested in. Um, I actually, I was an illustrator for the teen section of Emerald Globe News and I started when I was 16 and I got paid for that. So that was one of the, the teen, even my teenage jobs right. have to do with art. Um, and I did that until I was 22 for six years. I started working with Jonas, F.H. Jonas around here. A lot of people know. Right. Who painted a lot of mm-hmm. murals and signs. Big... and Yeah. 
Uh, I started, I was his assistant for quite a while and he gave me a lot of tips and pointers. And I think it's kind of a mutual progression where people find out you can do that. And they ask if you will do this or that, and then you learn how much to charge or not. And for me, I mean, it, it was a real, it was a real lesson because that's hard to, to tell someone, I'm going to charge you this much to do this for you. Right. At least it is, it is for me. <laughs> but, um, and that was always, that was always a, a thing where I, that I had to work on. Yeah. And I, I don't think I'm good at it now. Well, know, which but. is, I mean, and that's true for any business endeavor. <laughs> sure. I mean, you have to perform a service and you have to figure out how much mm-hmm. that's going to cost. And you have to get over that barrier of telling somebody this is it. Yeah. And yeah, you you have know, to have it requires some it. confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't ca- sort of apologize your way into yeah. getting paid. Well, for a long time, my mom actually served as my manager because she, you know, she did that with their band. She was the MC. Um, she took care of that kind of, you know, the, the business logistics of it. Um, so she kind of was there for a long time saying, okay, you need to do this. You need to think of it like this. You need, you know, cause my, I mean, when it really got down to it, I, I just wanted to paint. I just wanted to do the work. Um, I didn't want to have to think about all of that other thing, you know, yeah. but when you're a teenager, it's a little, it's a little easier until you get to be an adult and you have to pay the bills. And yeah. <laughs> so give people an idea. And I realize this world is always changing, mm-hmm. you know, the, the art world, whether it's online galleries or Definitely, Instagram, yeah. I mean, you're always having to evolve, but yeah. give me a sense of like what art as a career looks like you know, mm-hmm. in a place like Amarillo and, and where those different outlets are, what are some ways that you are getting paid for your work? What are mm-hmm. some ways you're, you know, reaching out to your potential community? What does it look like right now? And, and maybe like all the different directions, you know, that you have to, uh, to yeah. reach out in. Well, that actually, that's a good point. It's, it's multi-directional, I would say. Um, I, I have a website. I use Facebook. I do things locally, private businesses. And once you do, you know, for me, I've been doing it for literally decades. So people get to know what you do and who you are and where you are. So some of it is just a lot of time put in. Um, And like I say, I I do, I have a a website and I, I mean, you, you do your own work, then you take pictures of it, then you put it up and Mm -hmm. you say, you know, what about this? Hey, I could do, you know, Um, I don't, I don't really like to spend a lot of time just in the commercial part of it. Okay. Because I, I'm just, I'm a painter and I like to do my own things. But like I say, every now and then you do have to make sure the electricity stays yeah. on. Well, if you're, if you're doing everything with an eye toward what's going to sell, you yeah. may not be able to pursue the self-expression part yeah. of art or. Well, and that, that's the biggest thing and actually comes from the, the, the music side. I kind of came up with just, you know, don't play to the audience. Because then it gets really commercial. Your audience is going to change anyway. Um, so just put your real art out there and let them see what you do. Um, and then you get the people that know what you do, and then they ask if you can do it for them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty much what it, what I tend to follow is do. Do you feel like, like, let's say those kinds of commissions, you know, mm-hmm. where people ask you to paint something for them, is mm-hmm. is that something that happens fairly naturally? Here, as people see your work, do they then reach out to you and say, hey, can you do this kind of thing for me? There was definitely a flip. That that wasn't always a natural thing. You did have to kind of chase them and um, come to certain businesses and say, hey, I, ha- you know, I have an idea. Would you like lots of cards going out, mm-hmm. um, you know, business cards to everybody and networking and all, all that kind of thing. But as as you do get out, and I, and I will say social media has helped that quite a bit. Because that's such a, a huge reach to an audience that you couldn't normally get just walking around. So I, I do now, I have people that come to me and say, mm-hmm. hey, I saw this, could you do that? Um, so it's a little bit easier than than having to constantly chase them all the time. Speaking of that, that one of your more prominent um, pieces, at least publicly, that you've done is, is the mural at Six Car, mm-hmm. um, which is enormous right inside the door, <laughs> yeah. fills Two stories, yeah, almost up and down the stairs. Feet. Yeah. So tell me, um, I, I don't really know the story of how that came about. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you talk about how that collaboration happened uh-huh. in the first place? Well, that kind of is the the same story of seeing the art and it leads to something else. 
Um, I I actually had hung artwork at Yellow City, okay. Yellow City Street Food. Which the owners of Six Car, right. Scott Buchanan and Colin Cummings, both have um, mm-hmm. you know a relationship to Yellow City Street Food, right? And so, I mean, that that was actually a matter of just getting the work back out there, people seeing it, and then you know, like I said, it's kind of a progression that leads to, hey, can you do this? Um, they they liked what I was doing, um, and you know, Six Car has a, a real urban appeal. It's mm-hmm. it's um, really modern and new and um, they try new things, and I was kind of, I guess, I, I was just kind of bringing art that was kind of like that. It was a little more um, urban. The appeal was a little bit different, um, and they they liked what I was doing. So they, you know, that's that's where it kind of happened. What was the relationship between the actual content, the subject matter, and them? You know, with mm-hmm. you as an artist, were you saying here are some ideas? Let's do these kinds of things, or were they saying let's try to work in? You well, know, some of yeah. this related to beer making or anything right? like that. How did that work? Well, I mean, I do kind of tend to hold back. Say, hey, I got this great idea. What? I, I kind of keep my tongue because I do want it when, when it's a business, when someone comes to me, I want them to be happy with okay. it. So I, I kind of just say, well, what is it that you're looking for? What field do you want? What, you know, um, their, their big thing was um, the historical aspect of Amarillo. Because they're on Polk, they're kind of right in the middle of revitalizing downtown, um, and there's a, a huge history down there. So that was one of the big things was to work that in was the you know the, the historical part of it, and and of course with them being a pub and a brewery, I did kind of work that in with the big field, field of wheat and mm-hmm. barley, and you can you can kind of see that. But it was more towards the the historical aspect, and and one also one of the bigger things was. They like the feel of, um, because everything is, you know, in there you can see is fabricated and hand done, and and they like the feel of just when you did things with pure grit and yeah. elbow grease, and um, so that's where a lot of that character came from, including the colors. The colors are um, colors of steel and mm-hmm. iron and copper, and, and it's a pretty limited color palette. It is for that mural. Yeah, just what I, I think there's four or five. I think there's actually well, if you include black and white, I think there's only seven. So okay. that, that would be about five, five colors. T- tell me a little bit about the process, just because I know that people outside the art community mm-hmm. may sort of be interested in that. Like, how do you go about? You know, taking something that maybe you've sketched out or drawn on paper mm-hmm. and saying, okay, now I'm going to put it on a thousand square feet of vertical wall, <laughs> you know, inside a working mm-hmm. restaurant while people are walking by me, walking <laughs> up the stairs. I mean, how mm-hmm. how do you start that process? How long did it take you to, to actually finish start to finish? I, th- I think it was actually about six months Okay, that I did. And there, you know, there are things that happen in between. So, it, but I think it, it was no less than five months of pure work, including, you know, having to kind of stay out of the way myself mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want to be in the way of, of a working restaurant but um that was that was really a great relationship there with being able to work with a business that was thriving because mm-hmm. I actually started when there was sawdust on the floor and I don't think this this staircase was even in when I started really yeah and so I kind of saw that was a neat a neat view of my own that I actually saw something that was from the ground up and then just took off, you know, and people would, would stop by and, Hey, that's, that's neat. You, you're gotten a lot of, a lot further than I saw last yeah, week. Yeah. Know? <laughs> well, it, was, it was always fun to go in and see, <laughs> yeah. see how much progress had yeah, been made. Yeah. Did, did you sketch it out first and then I did, yeah. like project it onto the wall and then sort of fill in those pieces? Is that how it worked? Yeah. So some of that is I do a, a grid, but only when I'm sketching it, I don't, I don't want to use a grid on, on the wall usually because especially with that one because there's no background color to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to put a grid on that I'm going to have to figure out that, I, you know, make sure that I get it back off because I'm not going to paint You don't want to be it. erasing a lot yeah, of Yeah, I don't want to be doing that. So, but I only did um, outlines and, you know, then I come back in and, and I, I filled in, a lot of that has big time detail. It's just the colors aren't blended. Right. So it's a separated color, but a lot of deep detail that, that comes how, out. How much of it kind of happened organically as you were painting on the wall compared to like the initial yeah. vision for it? Well, actually, that's that was something that, that was pretty neat about that too because I had the, the basic grid and, and I used a scale that was a foot to an inch, which was a pretty 
big sketch anyway yeah, yeah. because there was a thousand square feet that I was working with. Um, but I had basic ideas and a lot of that did end up on the wall. But every now and then I would say, Hey, what about this? What about that? Why don't we change? You want to change this? I had, I had an idea for it. What about that? And they were really good about, yeah, that sounds cool. That, yeah. I could see that, you know? Um, so they actually gave me quite a bit of artistic freedom to, to do that because I think, you know, after a while they knew that I was definitely going to stay within their, 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 um, view, I guess. Right. Yeah. You know, they sort of they trusted wanted, you to yeah. make sure it all felt mm-hmm. in place instead of going off. In some yeah. It was weird, their vision. Not, not mine. Yeah, exactly. For, for people who, um, maybe only know your work from, from that piece, mm-hmm. could, could you describe, because I, I know that like, that's not representative of everything you do. I mean, you, you right. do so many different, different types of things and subjects. Can you describe what kind of an artist you are? Is is there a way to Ooh. put that into words or to say, here are the things that I'm interested in in terms yeah. of styles? Or I mean, how, how would you do that? I think probably the the best term that I could give you, I am a painter. That's that's the very bottom, the very core of everything, I would say. I'm a painter. Um, and figurative. That's probably 90% of what I do okay. is, is figurative work. And from there, I mean... Everything else that I would do would involve painting. It just, I, I also get into conceptual work. Um, so I don't stay on a canvas. I go into cardboard, mm-hmm. inside, outside. Um, some things that are that are only concepts and they're gone in a day. So that I, I think it's it's a fairly large realm of what I do, but you, I think I could stick with figurative painting. Okay. Because I... I like I can see some of your figurative stuff and it has more of a classical yeah, fine art feel. That's true. But then you get into, you know, stuff that's a little bit more pop art mm-hmm. feeling, you know, with some of the, oh, I don't know, some of the landscapes with, you know, cartoonish types of figures and mm-hmm. stuff on them that that is a very different feel. Mm-hmm. And then both of those are different from like a mural on the side of a business. Yeah, so. that is true. I, I tend to, maybe I just have a, a really short attention span (laughs) (laughs) is whatever whatever captures you whatever it is yeah um i do like to try new things um one of my my biggest idols is actually david bowie so it's i get that feeling of constantly changing Mm -hmm. so there is even within the canvas work there's there's very classical pieces you know a lot of my influences were mostly renaissance kind of influences with caravaggio and michelangelo and Mm -hmm. and that kind of technique. Um, and then, I mean, it goes into Andrew Wyeth and then it goes into Banksy. Um, so there's a, a pretty eclectic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, those are not typically side by side no, in, not usually. in the galleries. They might both be in London, but that's yeah, about as close yeah. as they get. Yeah. Tell me, uh, speaking of, of conceptual stuff, um, tell me about the upcoming back alley gallery show. That one is um, on the tw- on the twenty ninth. This is the last Saturday, so um, this will be the fourth in this. And I I didn't even know if it was going to be a, a series when I first did it. I just I thought let's just try this. Yeah. Um, and this is a one of those aspects of what I've apparently been doing with mixing different things together that were you would probably not think of. So it's it's kind of a Venn diagram if you put a fine art gallery. And then street art, the very essence of street art, and you put those two together, that intersection becomes the back alley gallery. So you and I, I tried my my best to keep um, aspects of both uh, the street art, the the kind of ephemeral feel of it, um, spray paint, it, and it's mm-hmm. sometimes it comes out very Banksy ish, but um, just the street art feel, the the technique of it, and then it's hung with lighting, with gallery lighting along the walls. Um, and there's actually, you know, there's food and beer and <laughs> it's actually a gallery show, but it is in it's, an it's, alley. It's in an alley. Yeah. And it's super gritty and mm-hmm. kind of downtown. What? Barely even downtown. It's like sort of toward the train tracks, yeah, it you is. know, yeah. um, the, the grittier side of downtown. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of art in the middle of where things are falling apart. Yeah. You know, how did how did you have that first idea? Had you heard of somebody else doing that in other places, or did it was it just sort of a light bulb kind of thing? I wasn't really coming from someone else's vision of something, but it was um, I I'd started getting into the street art part of it several years ago, and 
So I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to try to put some of this into the more classical things and, and mix them together and see what happens. So I actually was just putting street art into canvases mm -hmm. or maybe a cardboard piece in a gallery show um, several years ago. And people actually started liking it because I, I was kind of sneaking it in to see what the, what the reaction would be. And some of them actually sold. You know, people were, were really liking it because it wasn't, it wasn't really what you were seeing around this area. Yeah. So then I, I eventually had a full show of it, of just cardboard, some spray paint, some acrylic. People really like that. So then I thought, well, you know, I, I don't like to just separate myself into one, one realm. I like, I, I always kind of have that feeling of let's, let's try to put some things together and see what happens to make something new. So I, I actually tried that where I, I started um, saying, well, you know, this is the street art thing with the, the fine art gallery. And so I, I did that with, with shows that were inside and in places where you would normally see art. It was just the spray paint part of it. And it didn't really, it didn't really work to what I was trying to do because it was still just, a, it, it was an art show. It was just okay. art inside you know, on a wall. So that's still an art show. Yeah. Still sort of had that institutional yeah. feel to it. Yeah. It was just a different kind of art yeah. that was hanging on the wall. And, and I was trying to still mix the street art part of it, but it just lost the, the essence of it when I put it in, hung it on a wall and stuck a sign by it. So th some of that was, I, I need to figure out how to keep the essence of street art and the essence of the fine art gallery together. And it ended up, well, I, the essence of street art is outside. Mm -hmm. That's the soul of it. So the show needs to be outside. And then, you know, the other the other part of it with the, the fine art gallery, uh, with the lighting and, and the real attention, that was the difference where street art doesn't have that attention. Yeah. You know, people don't think it important. It's just, a lot of people just think it's garbage. A lot of people know. don't even see it when no. they're passing by it. No, it's disrespectful. It's, you know, it's whatever. But, um, but the, the aspect of the gallery is that art is really important and everything is for the art. Mm -hmm. The lighting is on the art, the paint on the wall, the, you know, the coloring, everything is for the art. So the huge attention to the art came from the fine art gallery. So I, I ended up, you know, you just, you come along with, with things where you, you have to figure out how to do it. And you just have to start asking questions. How do I light this outside with no electricity? Yeah. Well, solar lights, that seemed to be, you know, the way. And how do I keep people knowing that this is a show and being able to see it? Well, it has to be lit at night and it has to change when the sun goes down. So solar lights were the answer. And I, I, I ended up making, um, that was the other part, to keep it gritty. I, I got pieces of a shelf that, <laughs> was thrown out and um that was what made the the solar lights and you turn them on you can't see it when it's when it's sunny you don't really even notice the art it's just part of the wall right which is kind of the essence and of sometimes it. there's like other graffiti and oh, stuff yeah. on those walls yeah. i mean that, it's not a pristine gallery space yeah, by any means exactly there's it's a group show yeah <laughs> <laughs> but when you know when when the sun starts going down and you start noticing the solar lights coming on. Um, you can't see anything but the art. So all of the art is lit up and it, there's a transition period in there. And, and it's actually, there's a wider part of that where you go from when it's, it's bright and everybody's there. You can, it's kind of on the individual itself and, and they do, they take selfies and you take pictures with it and you don't really notice where you are. And then when, when the light changes and you hit that transition, all of a sudden you're in a gallery yeah. and the art is important, but you're big, you're, you're, you're part of a bigger thing. You know, you're part of the audience and you're important. So last year thematically was, um, inspired by Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel figures, but, mm -hmm. uh, spray painted on cardboard. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me about this year's theme. This one is, is quite different. This one is called Metallica, and it's still I, – I try to keep part of – like I say, there's there's part of the fine art and a part of the, the street art to it. So part of that, one of the, one of the really big techniques that, or styles that, that you can find is um, making things look completely metallic or 
made out of chrome. And just doing that with spray paint is is quite the technique. Yeah. To be able to get that look. Um, so there's a little bit of that feel that comes from that. But most of what I do has huge novel, you know, novels of, of information behind it. There's a huge story behind behind it. And this one is actually based on the thought of automation and robotics and AI kind of coming in and taking over and even replacing, you know, taking the human out of humanity. So all of these pieces are actually figurative pieces. What you might think fine art, what you might think would be a human kind of aspect, but they're all done to look like chrome or metal. So something that's more of uh, a robot, there's no human in it anymore. Still on cardboard or any canvas or is it? No, it's still on cardboard. They're all, they're all, um, they're wired to hang, Mm -hmm. but it still has that same feel. Um, and one of the, the biggest influences of this show actually came from finding out, I guess it came across, you know, social media somehow, but it finding out that Christie's had actually sold a piece of artwork that was done by AI. And I say artwork very loosely, right? Because I don't consider it. <laughs> May not have been a lot of thought behind yeah, it. I don't consider that art. There's, there's certainly it questions the definition of of art itself to have it done by artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of you know it spit out this image and was sold for over four hundred thousand dollars. Mm. I wonder if that was the novelty of the piece as opposed to the content of it. Yeah, I, I think that was. That I think that's probably the biggest part of that was that it became novelty. Mm-hmm. It wasn't art. Um, it was almost something to laugh at, you know. But there, even with that, even thinking of it as a big joke, there's something really serious underlying where it's so not important that you can have something that isn't even human create. Well, not create, but just. Assembling some yeah. colors and shapes. And yeah, it was basically an average. You know, they they put in, I think, twenty thousand images of different real artists, and it averaged it all out. Hmm. And what you got was something that kind of looked like a um, a French impressionistic thing, but it was certainly pixelated. You could it had no soul to it. Yeah. you know, and it was just all the rage and these you know collectors going after it and. And I saw a real seriousness in that. So this whole show is is going after kind of a replacement to that. Yeah, this is, is maybe an odd question, but it just mm-hmm. occurred to me thinking about you know whether it's art if produced by automation mm-hmm. uh, compared to art produced by a human, mm-hmm. which has some soul behind it, or maybe has some thought behind it, or some intention behind it. Right in the middle is like the art that I've seen. That maybe a chimpanzee does, or that an, an elephant <laughs> yeah. holding a paintbrush does. Yeah. Where do you where do you that's, qualify yeah. that? Is does that have any more soul than that's a good that's than a good an question. AI produced art? Or yeah. that's a very good question. And I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, even if it's produced by animals, I think it just comes down to the definition of art. What are you considering art? And to me, the biggest point, the core of it is humans relating to to humans, whether it's 200 years ago or just down the street five seconds ago that you're seeing somebody spray painting a wall. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a connection to humans. And, I mean, you you can, if you really pay attention to it, you can see that um, in in a a work that was, like I said, done decades ago, you can still connect to it somehow because there, there may be a point in your own life where you say, Oh man, I get it. I, I, it was there was for me. I, I, I did that with the Chagall just recently. Mm-hmm. I think it can fill you with something that says, you know, you're not alone. When you really feel alone, you're you're not going through this by yourself. Right. Um, you're part of a cycle. So there's actually purpose. It gives it gives grief and sorrow and happiness, all of that purpose. So there's a lot of meaning behind that. But when you when you start. <laughs> When you give an elephant a paintbrush, you know, and they're just kind of flapping it around, just yeah. just like they would do water or grass or, you know, um, I think you start to, to lose that, that core depth, okay. you know, and, and it, it becomes, um, you know, like you say, it just becomes novelty. 
you know. Thinking about meaning and purpose, um, talk to me about Amarillo as a place to be an artist. Like I, I've, I've talked to a number of artists who talk about the inspiration they get, whether it's from the harshness of the climate mm-hmm. or the wideness of the landscape or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a few weeks ago with Hayden Pedigo talking about just the weirdness of Amarillo itself, mm-hmm. the oddity here. What is it about Amarillo that sort of um, informs your artwork and your career? Actually, I think it's the social group itself. I don't think people know that there's the amount of talented artists here that there are. Um, so it's actually within the people that I've that I've met, you know, doing shows or going to coffee shops or any of the, the quote-unquote art places that you might be. It's not this same old thing. There's a huge amount uh, uh, and a range of, of what people do from glass blowing to... Mm-hmm printmaking and photographers and sculptors. Um, and they're all doing their own thing and it's fairly unique. So I, I would think just, just being kind of getting your juices going and getting your, your, your mind working by being able to talk to as many people mm-hmm. that are here. Do you think it's a place that fosters creativity? I think that it can be. I, that's, that's one of the things I think there should be a little work on because I, I don't think that the inf- the emphasis on specifically the visual arts is is as good as it should be. Okay, and that's that's actually one of the things is um, I think that the individual artist should have a little more influence and importance here, rather than always having to be the bigger picture, the great big project. It needs to be in service to something else. Yeah, or? yeah, it should be art for art's sake. I okay. Think. But we do have a long history of mm-hmm. pretty prominent talent coming through Definitely. this area from yeah. George O'Keefe to um, oh, absolutely. Bugby and, or, or wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even, and I'm not going to say exactly how many years ago, but <laughs> <laughs> but a few years ago, we'll just say that, um, you know, even starting uh, just a, a small group of just artists that wanted to do art um, with creating Amarillo League Contemporary Artists. And I was lucky enough to be kind of in that era where they were, you know, starting. And it was amazingly this little bitty tiny, it almost felt like it, this little speck of New York that came into town mm-hmm. um, with all of these artists doing so many different things from, you know, abstraction to, at, at the time I was into pop art, you know, and photography and, and just all of these really kind of cutting edge things. And just getting together and becoming this group, trying to work together and, and influence each other and help each other. And, you know, that that seems to happen, you know, the, these different phases that, that come in and out. So I think there's plenty of plenty of areas where you can find some kind of backing, you know, as an artist. Mm-hmm. So you're not you're not constantly the odd man out. Rachel Edwards, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Jason, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. It's fun. And that concludes the episode. I really appreciate the guests who were open to talking to me about Rachel for this episode. You can learn more about her work at Rachel's website, racheledwardswithpaint.com, which remains online. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and all the other episodes of this podcast. This has been show number 140 of Hey Amarillo Podcast, which you can follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. My name is Jason Boyette. Stay safe. Stay home. Love your neighbor.